Welcome to the Everyone Has a Story podcast presented by the Business and Education Alliance, where students' talent, interests, and aptitudes can be connected to the dynamic world of work. Welcome to today's episode of Everyone Has a Story, hosted by the Business and Education Alliance. My name is Bob Gimignani. Very pleased today to have with us Mara Claire Hoffman. Mara Claire is the Manager of Clinical Integrity at UC Health. Mara Claire, thank you so much for donating some of your time to speak into the lives of the next generation today. Absolutely. Happy to. Yeah. Mara Claire, let's get right to your career story. So think back to just a few short years ago, perhaps when you were in middle school or high school. Okay. Uh, did you have any thoughts back then about like what kind of job you might want to do when you grew up? Oh, well, I always knew that I wanted to be in a profession where I could help people. And for a majority of, I guess, my developmental years, I wanted, thought I wanted to be a doctor. So, but definitely something in medicine or science. Okay. And that's great. So what you just referred to there is a big bucket. Yes, right? a, a huge one. A big bucket of, of helping people, which is which is awesome. Before we get to your journey on how you get to help people today, Mary Claire, what was your first ever paid job? I was a lifeguard at a country club. Helping people. Helping people. Yeah, saving lives on occasion. Yeah. And when you were in high school, Mary Claire, did you have access to any sort of work-based learning programming, much like the Business Education Alliance is bringing to our schools where perhaps you had an opportunity to job shadow with a professional in your community or do an internship? Was that available to you? And if so, did you take advantage of it? Well, not, not directly available to me, but I was very, um, as I said, I was a lifeguard, so I was very into first aid courses and CPR and those kinds of things. So I think I exposed myself a lot to kind of that medicine base through those activities, but I didn't have an opportunity to really shadow anyone. So Mara Claire, you're in a very specialized field today. Mm -hmm. um, and there's definitely a long journey between you being a lifeguard and, and where you've landed today as a manager of clinical integrity in, in the healthcare system. So if you could uh, lay out your journey um, talk to students that are watching about how you got from your initial thinking of helping people in high school and being a lifeguard to where you are today in this very specialized occupation. And if you could try to pay some particular attention, perhaps to how you inventoried uh, what you thought you were good at, what your interests were, uh, as you made decision on your education post high school and the various jobs that you took and maybe perhaps some additional training that you accumulated in your adult years. Um, so the floor is yours, Mary Claire, to, to lay out that journey. Uh, take as long as you need to, and I will try to be quiet. Well, I, after graduating from Wasson High School, I went to, I was fortunate enough to be on a full ride basketball scholarship to Mesa State College. And when I very initially, when I went to Mesa initially, I at the time was quite inter interested in physical therapy. So I pursued a, I was pursuing a biology bachelor's essentially. And as I got into physical therapy, I found that I very much enjoyed the science part of disease processes and the, the more exposure, I guess, to um, kind of how the human body works. And I was always fascinated with science, but that I felt myself being 
drawn to maybe broader prospects. And I've decided that physical therapy was probably too narrow of a, a scope for me. So I actually decided at that time to change my major to nursing. Unfortunately, I didn't do that until my junior year. So at that point, I was kind of between two, uh, or I wasn't close enough to one degree to be able to fully switch to nursing. So I ended up doing a double, a double major, and um, one was in music, and the other was in, in science. So I actually graduated from Mesa with two associate degrees, one with a Bachelor of Science and then, a, or sorry, with an Associates of Science and an Associates of Arts and Music. So then I came back home to Colorado Springs and I enrolled at Bethel College of Nursing. And during my time at Bethel actually is when they joined um, UCCS to become the College of Nursing for UCCS in Colorado Springs. So I then finished my bachelor's degree and um, I waitressed my way through the rest of my college career. So that was, interestingly enough, it was still serving people. It was still help, helping people, interacting with people. So I enjoyed that part two of my, uh, of my, why well, I was in nursing school. So after I graduated from Bethel, it was actually kind of um, a unique time in the nursing field because the, the nursing field was actually saturated at that time. So it was very difficult to get a job as a nurse at the time. And so I was checking out all my different options and I was very drawn at that time to the to the being in the military. So I actually went into the army as a commissioned officer uh, in the army nurse corps and I went to basic training and I was actually stationed as a pediatric nurse at in Fort Carson, Colorado. So I was lucky to be able to come back home and in the meantime I had gotten married and started my family but uh, I enjoyed pediatric nursing quite a bit, and again, the whole the whole draw to nursing was having such a wide variety of venues you can take a nursing career. And um, while I enjoyed pediatrics a great deal, I was at that time also exposed to some more ER experiences, and I was incredibly drawn to being an emergency nurse at the time. And I'd always also been very involved in things like search and rescue, and again, as being a lifeguard, you know, kind of those emergency services type experiences. I really, I really found I enjoyed. I like the high pressure and I like the high, high impact, high reward setting, I guess. So after I left the military, I went out to Melissa Memorial Hospital in Holyoke, Colorado, my husband at the time was, um, had gotten, he had recently gotten out of the military and had become a police officer. And that's where he was hired as his first police officer job. So we moved out to Holyoke and um, that was, I wouldn't have expected it. If I'd known earlier, I never would have believed that I would get so much experience and growth at that time being in a rural setting, but you're it. The doctor's not even in the hospital. You have to call them in from home and you see anything that comes through the door because there's no, there's no major medical centers around. And so I learned again, a great deal about kind of how to do crisis management and decision-making and handling those emergency situations. I even was able to be on the ambulance crew in Holyoke because um, they didn't have 
an excessive amount of, you know, firefighters or paramedics. So it was basically who was ever willing to volunteer to run on the ambulance would, and we would actually dispatch. We were the 911 dispatchers for, for the county. So that was all a great, wonderful experience. And also, I think my time in the military also helped me to do you know, kind of crisis management and emergency management, you know, triage and, and prioritization. Um, so that was, again, a great experience. And then my husband was hired as a state trooper for the state of Colorado. So after his training, he was, his first assignment was actually down in Alamosa. So we moved down to the San Luis Valley with our two kids. Um, at the time, my kids were one and three. So I went to work at the San Luis Valley Regional Medical Center in, um, in Alamosa. I started out there in the ICU, which again was, you know, right, right up my alley as far as being critical care, you know, and crisis management, high stress. And again, I learned a lot. It was a smaller hospital, but it was still you know, big enough that you had, I guess, good exposure to a great, a great number of situations. And also still in that relatively rural setting where there's not a major medical center around. So you have to deal with what comes in the door. And then I also started floating to the emergency department at that time. Absolutely fell in love with ER nursing, completely wholly, absolutely at that point. I also had the opportunity to do some night supervising, which then gave me some additional exposure to some different types of nursing. I didn't have a whole lot of experience with like OR nursing and also OB. I had done some OB in Holyoke because you did everything there, but this was a, a little bit larger scale and um, of course med surge also. So basically I was just a, a jack of all trade and I loved being a night supervisor because I got to help out all over the hospital and wherever there was a need, I was there and helping to, you know, manage and chip in and participate in taking care of the patients if it was, you know, a trauma or surgery, just any variety of things. So that was also a great, a great part to my career. But all those things cumulatively had kind of molded me into a very, I felt like I was a very well-rounded nurse. I had a lot of exposure to some different specialties. I love them all. And that's part of why I think I enjoyed ER nursing so much is because you get everything in the ER, absolutely everything. Then had the opportunity to take a leadership position and um, I was the promoted to the assistant director of nursing. And I had... I managed the emergency department and the med, med surge departments directly. And then I would help my um, director of nursing actually with other administrative needs. And I started to have a little bit of exposure to kind of data collection, which is something else I've always been passionate about. That's kind of, you know, my underlying science base and I, I guess my inherent nerdiness, which I'm very proud of. Um, but you know, working with computers and spreadsheets to kind of do data analysis and look for trends and things and then develop processes and procedures to make improvements in any variety of things, whether it was patient care, whether it was staffing, um, just all sorts of different, different venues I could take that. So 
So I kind of, I guess at that point, got bit a little bit by the data bug. And while I wasn't, I was only doing that a little bit as part of my job, it still is something that that definitely stuck with me. So I continued there. And uh, the, the nice thing, even though I was the assistant director of nursing, because we were a, a very rural area, if there were staffing needs, I would still jump in and take care of patients. So I was still able to kind of get set satisfaction from providing direct patient care, which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. It was so, so rewarding to me. So I was glad I was able to continue with that. So then, you know, like changes in life happened. So it was time to move back to Colorado Springs. I had done actually when I was in nursing school at Bethel, I'd gotten to do a 96 hour um, intensive clinical rotation in the ER at Memorial. And I had loved that. So I decided that's where I wanted to go pursue the next step in my career. So I went to Memorial and I started there and that was a huge, a huge change because now I'm, I'm not in the rural setting anymore. You know, now I'm in the major medical center, you know, level, I believe we were a level two trauma center in the early years at the beginning. Um, But still, you know, gunshot wounds and massive car wrecks and knifings and just every everything, absolutely everything, super high paced, super busy, super intense and adrenaline junkie, loved every minute of it. And I'd been, I think I'd been working in the ER for two years and then I moved into a charge nurse position. So I was a night ER charge nurse for, for years at Memorial. So I was at Memorial for eight years. And then I started to consider some other options and I wasn't sure where I wanted to go next, but I actually went to, um, I did agency nursing for a very brief stint and I didn't like that at all. That was not my, definitely not my thing. And I, I had exposure to some types of nursing I'd never done before and knew firmly that um, ER, ER was still the place for me. So I then went to St. Thomas More emergency department in Canyon City, Colorado. And I was there for four years. Um, again, you know, whole ER night, night nurse ER charge. And I also found that continuing to work in the, the three, three 12 hour shifts was uh, a great way to have work-life balance because my kids were young. And that way, you know, I had very, it minimized the impact that I was missing from their lives because mom would work at night and when they were sleeping and they didn't know that, you know, mommy was really working full time because they thought I was home all the time when they were awake anyway. So it worked well for my life. But again, I, I thoroughly enjoyed ER nursing still, but I was starting to get, well, it's hard, you know, it's hard after you've worked almost 20 years, night, n- night shifts on the floor for 12 hours, it, it gets hard on you. So you do start to get, uh, I guess, a little physically exhausted. So one of my previous coworkers or one of my coworkers at the ER had recently gone into this brand new thing I'd never heard of called clinical documentation integrity. And she thought I would be wonderful at it. So she got into it, decided she loved it and pursued me heavily to come and join her. And at first I wasn't quite ready. I wasn't ready to give up direct patient care yet. I still enjoyed taking care of my patients. I I just wasn't ready. And then about a year later, she came back and she said, hey, they have, they're adding some more positions. 
I think you'd be amazing at it. And I think you'd really like it. You know, I think you should try it. So I went ahead and sought the position out. And it was, I was lucky in that it was in, because St. Thomas More was partisan tourist. So I was able to directly transition because the opening was actually at St. Francis. And I was still living in Springs. I'd been commuting to Canyon City, which was a a big time sink and a big, you know, a, a drain on me. So I was happy to work more locally again. And so I started doing clinical documentation integrity and 20, you know, 25 years ago, if you had told me that I'd be doing this, I would have said, I, I don't think so. I don't think I, I would like that. And I love it. It's, um, it was just very kind of a great way to use my skills that I had, my clinical skills and my clinical knowledge that I had learned over the previous 20 years, and then start to implement more of that data piece into it. So I just absolutely fell in love with it. And after about a year, I was promoted to supervisor. And I was in that position for an additional four years. And then I had heard that UC Health was in the midst of really developing their CDI program and growing and expanding. And that intrigued me a great deal. So then I pursued a position for UC Health as a clinical documentation uh, integrity manager. And here I am. I've been with uh, UC Health in this position now for almost exactly two years. In two weeks, it'll be two years that I've been a manager. So now I really absolutely driven by continuing to grow this profession and to help it reach out into many other of those different avenues that nurses can take. So it's really, it's truly a niche position, but it's been incredibly rewarding for me. And I think it has a huge um, impact, although it's not obvious, it's a very subtle impact, but I believe it's it's a huge impact and it benefits patients and healthcare facilities and healthcare professionals and world health ultimately. So it's very, very rewarding for me. Mara Claire, thank you. That that was a really well uh, laid out journey. Um, I very much appreciated you uh, using, you know, some adjectives about enjoyed, you, you enjoyed um, the disease process when you were mm-hmm. going into physical therapy and all the little shifts and lane changes that you've made mm-hmm. throughout your career. Uh, really being motivated by your what you thought you were good at, your aptitudes and what your interests were. So you, mm-hmm. you know, went into this field of nursing, thinking you wanted to help people in a meaningful way, and you've done that. Uh, and just really cool how you laid out uh, all of your little shifts. And then I liked that you you said you got bit by the data bug. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so again, there there's something that you found attractive based on your aptitudes and skill sets and what you were passionate about. And you followed that shift, right? So, uh, thank you, thank you so much for uh, uh, for laying that out. Absolutely. Yeah, incredible. That, that's really cool. And uh, you know, uh, what's cool for me personally is learning about all these little niche careers that people mm-hmm. have. Like, I did not know this position existed until we started talking. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then the other last thing I wanted to say is, apparently, when you graduated college, there was not a nursing shortage. 
<laughs> no. Uh, no, it. there wasn't. The the rare, I think there was only like a, it was literally like a, a two or three year weird overlapping thing where the baby boomers were still firmly in their career. They weren't retiring yet. And shortly after that is when the nursing shortage hit. And of course, we're still still in it today. Yeah. So students uh, watching this uh, career story right now, uh, nursing specifically uh, has been the number one demanded occupation in our city our state and in our country for over five years now. Yeah. Uh, so there is a high demand for nursing uh, in our economy. And if you feel like, uh, you know, you're a high school student and you're interested in the sciences or health sciences, uh, take a look at nursing. It's, uh, you know, there's lots of different lanes of nursing, as you can tell. Many, many, from many, your journey many. Specifically where students can deploy them, their aptitudes. So yeah, really cool stuff, Mary Claire. Thank you. Of course. So Mary Claire, what would you say is the biggest single challenge you have faced in your career and how did you overcome that? The biggest challenge? Well, I have to, I have to say COVID. Um, and I've, I, I've had many challenges previously, but COVID was such a unique and once in a lifetime situation that, that, um, that presented huge problems. And the biggest, the biggest problem we had was uh, because clinical documentation integrity integrity specialists, all we do is review patient records and work with the providers and educate them, but we're still nurses. When the crisis absolutely hit, you know, they had to use everybody they could. So they had to pull our nurses out of their, you know, remote document review positions and bring them back into the front lines. So that was a huge challenge for many, many reasons. You know, a lot of my nurses are very well seasoned, very experienced nurses and haven't been on the floors in a great many years. So that was very challenging for them. It was challenging to coordinate everything and at the same time, support my staff in having to make those accommodations to help out because it was all hands on deck and still try to do our job. So it was, it was a lot of coordination. It was a lot of um, triage, prioritization, you know, making sure that the things that needed to get done first got done. And then, you know, just a lot of extra hours and hard work to kind of fill in those gaps and still try to do what we do because it has value also, although it's not saving lives. So as long as you're saving lives first, then you can still try to do those other things. But it, that was definitely the biggest challenge I've had in my, in my career was, was managing that whole crisis from a specifically just within our program. Maricler, let's talk about mentorship or friendship. Some people call it. Would you like to give a shout out to some people who have shown up in your life in a meaningful way? Absolutely. I would. And what, well, Christina Martinez was the um, clinical documentation integrity director at Centura. And she really demonstrated to me what a what an amazing leader is and drew me into wanting to be a leader in the profession and supporting me and challenging me, which really kind of helped, I guess, push me into more of a leadership role, which I've also thoroughly enjoyed. And now actually Holly Saratella, who is my current director, has just been uh, amazing. Um, she inspires me every day. She, I just, I, I'm amazed by her and she just has such an amazing, con or amazing, 
understanding of how the all the pieces work together in our super complicated career that I I still I still learn about this. I've been doing it for almost seven years now total. And I still learn something every day. And it just she's really good at challenging me and guiding me and you know walking walking the talk. She's a a very, very hardworking, incredibly intelligent, driven and focused mentor for me. So I'm super lucky. And I've had all throughout my career, I've always had wonderful, wonderful mentors. Um, every position I've had, very rarely have I ever felt like I didn't have a leader who I respected and who could could teach me something and provide me support. So I've been super lucky. Mary Claire, what would you say to your teenage self knowing what you know today? I think I would say, don't change a thing. Just um, be open to opportunities. Don't be afraid to take on challenging situations and always keep learning. But I wouldn't wouldn't change a thing. You go, girl. That's what I'd say. <laughs> All right. Get her done. Yeah. Mary Claire, talk to students about um, your department at UC Health. You've kind of touched on it a bit in a couple of questions ago, but what does your department do? What's your mission and who do you serve? So what our department does is we review inpatient documentation. We, re we review the entire chart start to finish. And we are looking for opportunities for improving the physician documentation of the diagnoses that exist in the record. So there's a couple different things that, or a couple different ways we approach that. One is that we're looking to make sure that the doctors are specifying enough that the coders are able to accurately bill for the services that are provided and to, from a data analysis and research um, for advances in medicine from a clinical standpoint. So if a provider would say, you know, this patient has congestive heart failure, well, that's great, but, you know, is it acute on chronic? Is it systolic or diastolic or both? So we would help the physician we would we help by asking the providers to answer a query and in that query we present the information from the clinical record and ask them to further specify that condition so that makes it so that the coders can can code the record accurately based on the provider documentation we also look for conditions that the patient may have that haven't been identified yet so if we see clinical indicators that are specific to a certain disease, we'll ask the provider, you know, hey, this patient has these lab values and this finding on x-ray and um, this symptom and their vital signs are this. Is there another condition that we're treating that we haven't given a name yet? And um, we'll ask them to, to further specify that if they can. And also part of what we do is make sure that the patient, uh, there's not documentation of a diagnosis that maybe isn't clinically supported. So, you know, along the line somewhere, um, they were, they picked up a, an acute hypoxic respiratory failure diagnosis. However, they're on room air, they're not requiring oxygen, their breath sounds are clear, the x-ray is clear, um, there's no respiratory distress, you know. Are they, do they truly have that acute hypoxic respiratory failure, you know, or did they have it originally and it's been treated now and resolved, or did we think they had it and now it's been ruled out? So that should not be 
coded as part of that patient's record then because that's a an inaccurate representation of, of what's going on with the patient. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. Now, here's where it gets a little complicated. The reason that we have to spend so much time being so meticulous about this is because, especially in the United States, Medicare and Medicaid and uh, commercial contract insurance companies base all of the reimbursement on those codes. But more importantly, they use that data to provide the public with, you know, grades or ratings about how well that facility is performing. And they also do things like they look at mortality and they look at medical conditions associated with a certain demographic or geological area. And again, all those things contribute greatly to research and um, advances in medical care. So that piece is just as important as, you know, making sure that we're billing the insurance company correctly. So it seems like a little thing as far as, you know, what we're writing in the chart about the patient, but truly our goal is to accurately represent, to paint a picture of what's going on with that individual patient so that it's, it can be used for all those different things. That's what we do. And I guess the, the people we serve is actually, we serve the providers and helping them to identify opportunities and helping to clarify because, you know, they don't spend a lot of time in medical school teaching doctors how to document. Actually, they, they barely spend any time in medical school to do that. They teach them how to save lives and that's their job. So our job is just to help them understand that, you know, clinically we get what you're saying, but that doesn't translate well to um, that code assignment. So these are the magic words you need to say to be able to specify that code. So we support the providers and we will provide them education and support and just kind of we're a second set of eyes to make sure that the documentation is accurate. And then we support the hospitals um, and the, the healthcare system by making sure again, those codes are assigned correctly so that we're being re reimbursed appropriately so that we're being um, represented accurately with, you know, how well we're doing, how sick of patients, how sick are the patients that we treat, how are our outcomes, you know, how, what are our mortality rates, all those different things. And then we also support the patient in that we're making sure that their story is, is being accurately told, so to speak. We want to make sure that there's a the most specific picture possible of what was going on with them while they were under our care. And that's our, our whole goal is to serve all those populations and just make sure that this one little piece of that medical story is accurate. Excellent. Thanks, Mary Claire. Mm -hmm. Talk to uh, students watching um, about the minimum skills, education, and experience for somebody to qualify for an entry level position in clinical documentation integrity? What, what does that need to look like? Minimum education would be a nursing degree um, with a, a licensure. Uh, you have to be an RN. And we require at least three years of um, nursing experience. It's really important that our nurses have a good clinical understanding of um, you know, what patients look like before you need to know what patients look like in a real a real 
hands-on care setting before you can kind of read a chart and being able to kind of visualize what's going on with that patient. So that's super important for us. We also highly value critical care experience as well as med surge experience because that is a, um, a very vast, broad exposure to many different types of, of disease processes. To a certain degree, we also value specialty nursing like um, OR, oncology, transplants, burn nurses, because in addition to having a wide knowledge base as, as a foundation, it helps to have nurses who have some of that experience in those specialty units because they're more attuned to what should be in the documentation. So that helps them identify opportunities where we can improve the documentation. And then um, we highly value previous clinical documentation integrity experience. That's di very difficult to make as a, an absolute standard because clinical documentation integrity as a, per, a, as a niche profession in nursing is relatively young. So there's not a whole lot of people who have experience in, in clinical documentation integrity. So we value that highly, however, it's not required. So those are the, the minimum expectations. And Mariclare, uh, talk about the career ladder then uh, okay. from an from a entry-level position in your, in your uh, lane of nursing. And uh, what, what would that ladder look like for uh, somebody from entry level to the pinnacle of that career? Uh, it's a, that's a very interesting question. It used to be that our career ladder was, was very linear. Um, however, the longer we're around, we are able to, we've been branching out into many different areas now. So, so now what it looks like is you start as a clinical, you would start as a clinical documentation integrity specialist just to get the exposure and to understand how to do the job and um, to understand what's important and how to navigate documentation and how to collaborate with providers to um, get queries answered and just basically how to interpret the documentation in a chart to really be able to turn that into opportunities for documentation improvement. Mid-step, I guess, is a, would be an auditor position. So that means that you're the person who's going behind the clinical documentation integrity specialist and reviewing the chart after them to make sure that they identified and captured all the query opportunities to make sure they weren't missing anything, um, to make sure that they're assigning appropriate impact. That's also data is a very big part of clinical documentation integrity work. It's a huge part because all of the work we do is reflect reflected in data analysis and reporting. So that's a huge part of what we do. So also having an understanding of that, how to make what we do translate to um, something that you can pull as a report based on DRG codes is part of what we do. So an auditor is someone who goes behind the clinical documentation integrity specialist and makes sure that, you know, there's a, a minimum quality standard being met and that we're doing our job well. Above an auditor would be an educator, and the educator's job is to help educate the clinical documentation integrity specialists. I'm just gonna say CDIS, that's our nickname, CDIS. Help the CDIS um, to keep on top of all the changes because the work we do to getting to those codes comes from the ICD-10 um, diagnostic and procedural data set, 
which is used worldwide to classify diseases and procedures. Uh, there's 40,000 codes or something to that effect. So you, it's impossible to know them all and they actually make changes every single year. And in addition to that, as medicine evolves, there's always changes because we didn't, we didn't treat sepsis 20 years ago the way we're treating it now at all. So it changes constantly. So there's a need, a huge need for constant education, both from a clinical standpoint and from a data encoding standpoint as well. And then, of course, within the CDI ladder, there is, of course, being a supervisor, which means that you directly take care of the team of CDSs that, you know, you help them with day-to-day -day operations and you would oversee their work and uh, make sure they were meeting all the expectations of productivity or education or whatever else there would be. And then managers more branch out into other areas where CDI may be impactful. And we look at data trends and we look at a lot of different areas where we can branch out more. Like if we identify, we look for patterns that help us identify specific areas of patient care that would have a big opportunity to help improve documentation. Like you, you may notice, like on those national reports, we may say, well, you know, when we are compared to national cohorts, our um, diagnosis of simple pneumonia is higher than everyone who is like, a, you know, a similar size hospital is an academic medical center, and they all have more complex pneumonia than we do. Well, why is that? Is it's because our patients aren't not as sick as the complex patients. So how is that? What does that translate to? And then you look into that clinical documentation, you say, oh, well, we're just saying pneumonia when really it's aspiration pneumonia, which makes it a complex pneumonia. So we're not accurately reflecting then what the patient has. So those kinds of things. And there's as many of those opportunities as there are diseases. So that, you know, makes it a big, we have a lot of work to do to continue to kind of grow and evolve and figure out where shortcomings and documentation lie and then how to address those and educate um, providers to make that a more accurate description that translates into those codes. And then above that would be a program director and the program director has, you know, just oversight of the program and they look into ways to expand programs. Like we're currently looking into adding a, an outpatient clinical documentation integrity program, which is a whole separate piece of, um, of the pie, so to speak. Inpatient, obviously, is just patients who are in the hospital being cared for in an acute setting, and outpatient is doctor's office visits. And I mean, I think there's, I want to say we do something like four million of those a year or something. So that's a huge, huge other, other piece to, to the pie that we're we're starting to look at, and also uh, another path within our career field would be data data analysis. Um, and again, that's a, a super niche kind of kind of path because you have to have a clinical understanding. You have to have statistical and scientific um, analysis understanding because you have to understand how that clinical information and the work that you do, to improve that documentation, translate into something measurable 
and um, something that you can help, you can use to demonstrate trends in healthcare or trends in coding or trends in even billing. So it's it's very much, I guess, a a silent partner with CDIs that data data anal uh, uh, data data analyst type work that goes into it. I think that's everything. I think I covered all the the current opportunities. You did great. Thank you, Mary Claire. Mm-hmm. Mary Claire Hoffman, Wasson High School grad, basketball player extraordinaire, yeah. uh, graduate of Mesa State College and UCCS uh, mm-hmm. School of Bethel, Bethel School of Nursing, and currently manager of clinical documentation integrity at UC Health. That was a big mouthful. <laughs> it is. It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, telling your career story. Absolutely. Uh, Teachers and students, stand by. We're going to take a little break and be back with an informational interview with Mary Claire Hoffman in just a minute. Welcome back to part two of our Everyone Has a Story career interview with Mary Claire Hoffman, graduate of Wasson High School and Mesa State College UCCS Bethel School of Nursing, currently manager of clinical documentation integrity at UC Health. Mary Claire, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Happy to. Yeah, so part two of our interview, what does a day in the life look like today for Mara Claire Hoffman? What does a day in the life look like? Well, so I guess a day in my life is that I usually start out my day by looking to see how many meetings I have. Um, And while meetings are sometimes, sometimes a little tedious, they are always a great way to collaborate with other departments and and, um, sometimes with the providers, to help provide education. So it's just it's just a great communication tool, even though it's a little, sometimes it's a little tough to keep up with the volume, but it's super necessary. And then I often spend my time doing some data analysis. Like currently we've just done a reconciliation project. So we did a pilot where we went back and looked back at the, the charts that we had re- reviewed initially after they've already been billed. And we're just checking them for accuracy and seeing if there's anything we missed and if there was any additional opportunities. And if we did, we trend that data and say, well, where are the areas that we're missing things? And then um, I collaborate with our CDI educator to develop education for the team on those areas that we identified and then, you know, do follow up to make sure that the education we did, you know, stuck and that there's... um, there's no additional need in that area. And then we move on to the next one. I still do a lot of research into what those um, national statistics I was speaking about before, like mortality risk factors and performance uh, against other cohorts. I mean, whether it's a community hospital or academic medical center, you know, what are, what our patient population looks like from a data standpoint, um, and help. I, then I, I will dig into whatever areas seem like they're not quite, you know, we're off. We're either low or high. Why are we low or high? So then you have to dig into the data to kind of kind of figure that out. And it requires a, a lot of chart review, a lot of um, critical thinking and um, clinical analysis, so to speak, you know, looking at the chart and saying, why is it that we're not able to, you know, accurately represent what's going on with this patient? And 
sometimes it's a single word in the documentation that isn't getting in there that will cause an entire cascade of misrepresentations. So it's a lot of that. Um, and then we work with the coders. We collaborate with the coders very closely to kind of help uh, make the whole process smoother because it starts with the clinical documentation integrity um, specialist, but then it ends with the coders. So we look a lot at that process and see if there's anywhere we can improve those process flows or workflows or make things easier. And then also I collaborate with our physician advisors who are basically the go-betweens between the CETUS and the, and the doctors on the front lines. They will, if we identify areas where the providers need specific education, whether it's an individual provider or if it's a trend overall, oftentimes I spoke about um, the coding changes that happen every year. We have to provide education to our providers about those changes because, you know, that is definitely not something on their radar that they keep up with. They keep up with research and clinical um, updates, but they would not keep up necessarily with coding updates. So that's important for us to to identify and help educate the providers about. So I guess, again, and then there's always, you know, just kind of the the day-to-day -day managerial things, looking at payroll and yearly evaluations and those kinds of things. So that's pretty much a day, a day in the life of my position. Mary Claire, what would you say are the top two, three, or four most critical technical skills or job knowledge skills that you need to deploy on a daily basis to be successful in your job? Definitely, um, you have to be very, very comfortable with um, data analysis tools like Power BI, like spreadsheets, and not just being able to look at a spreadsheet, but actually build a spreadsheet to make it calculate um, the metric you're looking for or to help identify those data trends. Um, so that's a huge part of it. And then uh, additionally, um, a very solid clinical understanding. You have to be able to read a chart and interpret what's going on with the patient. And while, I mean, all nurses are told, you know, we're not diagnosticians. So we're not doctors. We don't, we don't make a diagnosis. However, you have to be able to read a chart and identify where there's a potential diagnosis, or maybe there's something that has been diagnosed that isn't really clinically represented. So you have to have a very strong clinical understanding. So not only do I have to re do research for updates and changes regarding coding, I have to do that, that clinical piece as well, because that's changing all the time too. Um, you know, they just added a new designation of um, stages of kidney disease, and now they added a 3A and 3B. Well, why did they add that, and what's the difference, and how do I speak to that, and what do I look for? So those are definitely the two most. Uh, and then it's important also to have just kind of a good, a broad tech background, and particularly, of course, as humanity evolves into a more tech-based um, and dependent society, but it's particularly in CDI because all the work we do is remote. We're never in the hospital. We're never on site taking care of the patients anymore. It's all virtual. You review the charts, you, you know, complete the data, and then you collaborate over teams. And so having a, a strong understanding of tech is, is also, and all, of course, all the softwares that go with like standard business operations like Word and PowerPoint and Excel, Skype and 
WebEx and Zoom and all those other things as well. All right, Claire, what about the softer skills um, or the essential skills as some might call them? What's, what's most important there in your environment? I think communication and being able to adapt communication to individuals. Everyone, everyone learns differently. Everyone um, processes information differently. It's a lot like, you know, of course the, the current buzzwords are like love language, right? Everyone speaks a different love language. Well, just like that, everyone communicates differently in a, in a professional and business standpoint. So knowing, knowing the people you work with, understanding how they learn and how they communicate, and then knowing what you need, being able to self-identify what your needs are and also being able to communicate to others what your needs are, are super important soft skills. And just having a, having a, especially again, in today's virtual world, making sure that we're, we're remembering to be empathetic to each other, even though it's through a somewhat cold, um, cold media that we communicate, it's still important that we, we are, you know, demonstrate our humanity and be empathetic towards each other. So I guess those are, those are super important soft skills to have. Claire, what do you like most about your job? If you could pick one thing, what is it? What I like most about my job is being the investigator, so to speak, identifying a trend that is occurring and being able to dig down into the minutia of the, the clinical documentation and find out why it's happening. I like to fix things. I'm, you know, a problem solver. I love using that critical thinking to, you know, figure out what, what the missing pieces of the puzzle are. So for me, that's, that's my favorite part is being able to identify something that isn't working well, and then being able to dig into it and see where it's coming from and then apply a fix. And then ultimately seeing the result. That's what I love most. And what do you like uh, in particular most about working for the UC Health System? I think the thing I like most about UC Health is that well, they, they live their mission. You know, the mission is um, we improve lives in big ways and small ways, individually as a community, we improve lives. And they, I see them walk that walk um, or walk that talk, it's especially you know, through the pandemic, because that was such a incredibly challenging time for everyone. And they took fantastic care of their staff and they took fantastic care of the community and they're continuing to take great care of the community. I mean, it's, it's one thing to work for a corporation who has a great slogan and a great, a great vision and, and mission, but it's another to really see them demonstrate that on a day-to-day a day-to-day basis and how they treat their employees in the communities they serve. And Mayor Claire, uh, recognizing that not every job is going to be unicorns and rainbows every day. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, is there one thing in your role that you find like uh, difficult or unsatisfactory, or perhaps there's a task that you have to do that you just don't like doing? What does that look like for you? Well, t- to be honest, um, the, the toughest part about my job is Getting, um, getting providers to listen to little old nurses, you know, to listen to, to help to communicate why it's important for them to document. And it's, 
Again, I understand it's super challenging. They're saving lives, but we're not accurately representing what's going on the patient with the patient. You know, we're not getting credit for saving that life. You're not going to get credit for taking such great, great, great care of that patient unless it's documented, you know, and it's, it's an unfortunate part of being in a, a profession where we have to charge for services in order to be able to continue to charge for services. It's just part of the part of the system model. And that's what what where we live. And it's important. So communicating that, um, getting that message across to the providers and making them understand how important it is, is definitely the biggest, most frustrating challenge I have. And, you know, you continually try to spin it a different way to help them understand. Um, and you just keep trying. That's the one for me. Claire, I wonder if, is there an advanced degree in clinical documentation integrity, like a master's program or a doctorate program? You know, there's not specifically. There is a, um, there's a couple certifications. One is through AHIMA, which is the national, um, basically the national uh, coding professional society. And the other one is through ACTUS, which is the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists. And you can get a certification. Um, it's called CCDS. It's the clinical certified clinical documentation specialist or a, a certified clinical documentation um, integrity provider. And it just, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty tough test to take, but it's just like kind of any other nursing specialty. But as far as advanced degree, um, and this is on this is on my to-do list is um, I think nursing informatics plays very well with clinical doc clinical documentation integrity. So it's a very good, and that's, you know, more of a newer niche part of nursing anyway, but there are advanced degrees in um, nursing informatics that I think are, would be extremely beneficial. Very clear uh, for that one high school student out there right now, who's just fascinated by your journey and your passion for what you do. Uh, who might be very interested in pursuing a path in uh, nursing and CDI, how, what would you suggest for that student uh, to do to gain exposure to and or experience in your field of work? Well, the very first thing is to kind of get your clinical feet under you, so to speak, um, because that's you have to have a good understanding of clinical nursing to be able to look at the documentation to identify what's going on. So that is, that would definitely be the first step. Um, there's a lot of things you can do, especially as a, I think as a young person that give you exposure to kind of medicine type situations like being a lifeguard. You absolutely learn first aid with that or being on a search and rescue or participating in some type of, uh, you know, EMS things, or of course, you know, things like becoming a CNA or, you know, even, even a pharmacy tech, but also if you are truly interested in this specifically, it would be a great thing to kind of start looking into coding and what coding involves and what it's all about and kind of how the two work together. And then as far as actual direct exposure to, to this profession specifically, um, well, I would be thrilled to, to speak to anyone about kind of what it is and what it does, but also the, the other piece of that is learning how to do data analysis, learning how to operate spreadsheets and manipulate data and do calculations and 
use all the the many many different um, software technology things available to us and, and be innovative to you know consider innovations on innovations on how to connect those things together because I think that's where I see the future of CDI and there's some of that now um, I guess another niche to this very specific career is um, natural language processing and you know not having to someone have have someone actually read the chart but having computer models read it for you and kind of interpret it the data so I, I would say those are the the biggest ones. Thanks, Mary Claire. Students also uh, embedded into many of our public school systems are what uh, what's called career and technical education programming. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a uh, pathway related uh, elective course of study that you would volunteer to participate in. Mm -hmm. And there are uh, various um, uh, districts to, throughout our community that have a biomedical science career tech ed pathway mm -hmm. where you could get exposure to that environment, uh, some accelerated coursework, uh, concurrent enrolled uh, college coursework as well in biology and health sciences. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I, I know D49 and I think maybe D20 have uh, more related healthcare academies mm -hmm. um, that are more focused in that particular area. So. Mary Claire, thank you for those ideas. Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, Mary Claire, let's talk a little bit about tuition, tuition reimbursement programming. Mm -hmm. um, we are trying to get the word out about that because many parents and students are maybe not aware that, especially some larger uh, healthcare systems and organizations in our community have a tuition reimbursement program. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and uh, maybe some examples of uh, folks who've taken advantage of that to advance their education while working? Yeah, absolutely. The Well, I will say UC Health usually does have a tuition reimbursement program. Um, it was put on pause for um, due to the pandemic. Um, we kind of had to, you know, make some some cuts to help deal with um, how we had to triage patients um, during the worst of it. And um, so a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of education funding, including tuition reimbursement got cut. However, it is, um, it's absolutely coming back. I'm sure it'll be back, you know, I'm sure within a year. They're bringing all the things that we kind of had to put on pause back online. So it's, and I have known several nurses who have taken advantage of that, um, especially as I shared, you know, the majority of our nurses are very experienced. And um, so when a lot of them went to school, they didn't even have a BSN program. It was an associate degree or even a diploma. I guess it's a degree, a bit of diploma nursing program that they went to. And they have then pursued their bachelor's doing a, you know, an ADN or an RN to BSN program. And the tuition reimbursement for them has been invaluable. And it's, you know, you don't have to be a nurse to get that. You can, you know, you can work in dietary. You can work as a CNA or, a, you know, pharmacy tech or transport tech or, you know, registrar, any, any number of things. And you, um, while you're working, you know, you can pursue that pursue that um, tuition or pursue the a higher degree and get that tuition reimbursement. It's a wonderful, wonderful avenue to achieve that, I think, because being a waitress in, in school was hard. So I, I recommend working for somewhere that has tuition reimbursement highly. 
Excellent. Although waitressing does reinforce some of those soft skills, right? It does. It sure did. I, I will say that. I learned a lot as a waitress. <laughs> Mary Claire, thank you. The hard part of our interview is over. What do you like oh. to do? What do you like to do in your free time? Oh, what do I like to do in my free time? Well, I am a, a Colorado native. Um, so very proud of that have spent my entire life in Colorado, although in different places in Colorado, um, always here. So I love being outdoors. I love camping and fishing and hiking. And um, I often go with my adult kids, which is a lot of fun. They're even funner now that they're adults. And then, um, as I mentioned, I'm a nerd. So I might have some nerdy pursuits. Um, I might like a little bit of uh, video gaming, I know. That's shocking, but it's, I won't, I won't try to deny it. It's true. So I would say those are my, my favorite things to do. What kind of video games do you like to play? Oh, oh, are you sure you want to go there? I'm a, I'll leave it up I'm, to you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, I, um, I've been playing MMORPGs for about 15 years. So if you, if you know what that means and you're speaking my language and yeah, I've been playing with the same group of friends that we all met online for um, well over 15 years now. So, so computer video games. Excellent. Mary Claire, what do you want to be when you grow up now? I want to be, I aspire to be something more within this profession. I think something more um, data, data focused, something that can, I, I aspire to be a, an innovator of a software tool that can streamline the process of clinical documentation integrity. I want to invent something. That sounds great. And any uh, final comments or experience you'd like to share, Mary Claire, with that one high school student out there, just really kind of on fire for what you're what you've been talking about? No, just just you know, don't be don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be bold and be innovative and to look at things outside the box and you know, make sure you, you build your base first so you can grow and evolve and help change the world basically. But, you know, you don't, you don't have to have the answer today and what it looks like 30 years from now, I may be wholly different, but um, don't be afraid. That's my, my advice. Mary Claire Hoffman, Manager of Clinical Documentation Integrity at UC Health. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear your story today. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Everyone Has a Story podcast. We hope the experience shared today in the career story and informational interview may benefit you as you make educational and career choices. If you would like to learn more about the Business and Education Alliance and how we are working with education and industry to connect students' talents, interests, and aptitudes to the world of work, please go to businessandeducationalliance.org.